And we are uh, so very grateful to have one of our long-term uh, missionary partners with us this morning, uh, Tim and Carol Savota. And uh, they were, for many, many years, working with YWAM, Youth with a Mission, in India, and then for the last 10 and a half years have been in San Francisco, the inner city, which is called the Tenderloin District. They have been uh, establishing great ministry in the inner city, and the great thing about that is, as they established that ministry, what, a couple thousand miles away from us, uh, we are there with them. Uh, every person, 365 days a year, every single person that they are able to touch for God's kingdom, you and I are touching them too because it's by our financial support that it makes it possible for Tim and Carol to be doing what they're doing out there. Thank you. It's so good to be with you this morning and just to share a little bit. Um, you've seen some of the variety of our ministries that we have, that's just some of them, uh, that we operate in the city and the, uh, and the metroplex of the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. There's literature out on the back, and please take it with you. Um, it's free. Uh, it talks about what we do um, and how we engage a city with a loving God. And we're in all different kinds of context, uh, whether it's a tenderloin with um, 3,000 homeless people at our front door, or working as my wife does amongst the Yemeni Arabic-speaking women. Um, the context are different, and how we preach to the Yemeni Muslims is not how we preach to the homeless, but it's the same gospel. And uh, we keep finding a variety of ways to present the gospel. It might be through haircuts, it might be through hot chocolate, or it might be as my wife does in teaching English, um, inside one of the large apartment complexes of San Francisco, that's about 60% uh, Arabic uh, people coming from the nation of Yemen. So uh, please grab some of the literature, and there's a sign-up sheet back there too that can tell you um, how to pray, or sign-up sheet for our newsletter, and we will be sending out uh, different uh, news on how to pray for us and um, the different things that are going on. We also want to thank you. Uh, for praying for our granddaughter, Amira, um, one, from the bottom of our heart. She was very, very uh, sick just a few weeks ago. Uh, we thought we were Mike, going to lose her there for a little bit. Uh, her lung collapsed. She's two years old. Uh, she's in India. Uh, my uh, daughter and her husband work with uh, International Justice Mission, and uh, they're in Delhi. And uh, her lung got infected. We don't know how. It was filled with water and pus and it totally collapsed, um, and they had to take her into the hospital, and uh, we thank God uh, that she's out today, and she's doing very well, and almost back to normal, and so we're just amazed at what God has done, and so thank you for praying uh, with us in that challenging situation. Um, like us to open up our Bibles, if we can, to Luke chapter 11, and uh, last week, uh, Pastor Jim spoke from Luke chapter 10. He spoke about Jesus sending out the 72 disciples uh, to share the message of the kingdom, which was peace. And uh, as uh, he broke that message to us, gave that message to us, um, he talked about how some people found that was a difficult message because they were hoping to go to war with their Roman oppressors. Um, but Jesus was giving a message of peace. And then he ended it uh, with the story of the Good Samaritan 
and how we need to deal with the racial hatred that may be uh, inside of us. Um, and now we come into Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus confronts from verses 37 and following, uh, Jesus begins to confront the Pharisees. And I've titled my message this morning, Jesus the Troublemaker. Uh, you know, sometimes we think of the meek and mild Jesus who just loves everybody. Uh, but Jesus was also a troublemaker. And uh, in Luke chapter 11, he confronts those who were representatives of what people thought the kingdom should be. And Jesus confronted the Pharisees so strongly because he was sending a message saying, that is not the way of the kingdom. And so he caused a little bit of trouble. And I might say this morning, if Jesus is causing trouble for you, well, then you might be on the right path also. <laughs> because there's a little bit of a Pharisee in every one of us. I don't know about you, but ever since I gave my life to Jesus, it's been nothing but trouble. <laughs> trouble for my flesh. Trouble in my judgments of others while I blindly excuse myself. Trouble in the details where I always think that I'm right. Anybody getting a witness this morning? <laughs> Trouble in the focuses where I derive my value from. And Jesus comes and he causes trouble for the flesh. <laughs> See? The, the, the spirit wars against the flesh. And if you're not having trouble, <laughs> you may not be following Jesus as the Lord of your life. <laughs> Jesus comes and he causes trouble. And he brings trouble for the flesh, but he gives life through the Spirit. Now, before I get into some of these verses, just a little bit of background information. Uh, Jesus really defies all social customs. Here he is being invited to a Pharisee's house. And you would think that, you know, to the Jew I became a Jew. To the Gentile I became a Gentile. To all men I became all things. So you would think, well, didn't Jesus understand contextualization? To the Pharisees, I ought to be like a Pharisee. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he came into this setting, and he, he just defied all social customs. You would have thought he should have been nice to these upper-class religious leaders. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the Pharisees and to the scribes and to the Sadducees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were very religious people. They had memorized all 39 books of the Old Testament. <laughs> and you would think that Jesus would have had a little social custom, but he immediately walks into that situation, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. And it says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and he reclined at the table. Now watch verse 38. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash the meat, before the meal, was surprised. Right away, the Pharisee, right away, the Pharisee begins to judge his outward behavior. These were people, 
that had social customs, that were cultured, that were very proud of their social standing. And Jesus comes in and cuts them down to size very quickly. <laughs> Muhammad Ali, after winning one of his boxing titles, got onto the airplane and the stewardess walked up to him and said, you need to fasten your seatbelts. Muhammad Ali looked at the stewardess and said, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. And the stewardess replied to him, and Superman doesn't need an airplane either. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Jesus walks into the situation of the Pharisees, and he cuts them down to size. Jesus addresses the problems that are produced by legalism in those who are religious. And this is our danger as believers today. A Christian religious attitude. Listen to me. I, I live in the city of San Francisco. There's not a whole lot of Christians there. A Christian religious attitude devoid of love produces rigidity, rigidity and self-righteousness that repels rather than attracts people to Jesus. Jesus is committed to stirring up trouble against our flesh in order to give us the life in the Spirit. We come to verses 39 through 41. Then the Lord said to him, now this Pharisee was judging Jesus. He was judging his outward behavior. He noticed he did not wash his hands. And Jesus did it on purpose. <laughs> he knew what he was walking into, and he did it on purpose. And this Pharisee is judging his outward behavior. Then the Lord said to him in verse 39, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? What's going on here? Well, before we get more into this verse here, these are legalistic people. What is legalism? Legalism is a bargaining with God instead of empty-handed receiving of his grace. See? Legalism is, is kind of a, a, a bargaining with God, and it, this best describes it. In a legalistic religion, the worshiper gains some control over the object of his worship. If the deity says, you must do exactly this or not do that in order to please me, the worshiper's unconscious response tends to be, if I indeed do exactly what you ask, you will have to do what I ask of you. This is how the Pharisees approached God. Why were they memorizing scriptures? Probably to get something back out of God. It was a bargain. It was a legalistic trade-off rather than a sweet, loving relationship. <laughs> oh, you didn't wash your hands before you, before you eat. You're not acceptable to us. And what's going on here in verses 39 through, 40, uh, through 41 it's an emphasis on right behavior instead of right 
intentions. How many times, how many times do we put an emphasis on right behavior instead of right intentions? And what does Jesus do? Jesus causes trouble in our judgments of others while blindly excusing ourselves. My dad, who's preached here, <laughs> who's no longer, he used to say, whenever you point one finger at, one, at a person, remember, you've got three fingers pointing back at yourself. <laughs> this is the Pharisees, a legalistic religion. You're judging the outward behavior and not able to see the heart. Chuck Swindle tells a story of when he was preaching at a conference. A, a man and his a, a husband and his wife came to, to hear him preach every night. And the man walked up to him and said, it's been my dream to come and hear you preach. And I'm so glad that I could be here. Charles Swindle would preach every night, but he would notice that after about preaching for five or ten minutes, every night the man would fall asleep. And he started getting angry. What is this guy falling asleep every night? <laughs> after about the fifth night, Charles Swindle was so mad, he was about ready to rebuke the man. And the woman, his wife walked up to Charles Swindle and said, thank you so much for letting us come to your conference. It's been the dream of my husband to be here. And Charles Swindle, under his breath, was saying, yeah, and he snored through all my sermons. <laughs> and then she said, my husband is terminally ill. He's dying of cancer, and he's on heavy medication, and it's been his dream to hear you preach, and I'm so sorry that he couldn't listen every night because the medicine makes him so tired that he just had to fall asleep. And Swindle wondered about his own judgments. <laughs> How many times do we look at other people, the way they look, the way they dress, the way they sound? We have teams coming all the time to San Francisco to work with the homeless. <laughs> and we watch the transformation, not only in the homeless people that they share the gospel with, but more so in them as they find out that the people they're sharing with are actually human beings. <laughs> and not just bums sitting on the side of the, of the sidewalk, but they're human beings who Jesus loves. You saw the video of the women coming in prostitutes, transgenders coming on Mondays to have their, their nails manicured. <laughs> it's easy to judge, but when you go, below, go deeper below the surface, you begin to understand who the people are. Jesus comes. He comes to deal with our exterior religiosity that separates us. And you notice what Jesus says here as we go on to the next point, but just finishing up this point, verse 41, he says to the Pharisees, the solution, he says, but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Legalistic Christians don't accept others who are different from them. What's the solution? Disciples of Jesus are generous to the poor. Why? Because we know we are just as poor. <laughs> See? 
Have we forgotten our own poverty? When we forget our own poverty, we cannot help people in their poverty. We're preaching a religious message rather than a life-giving message. Transformation takes place when we preach out of the brokenness of our own heart to the brokenness of another heart. Self-righteousness and exterior religiosity makes us forget the poverty of spirit that we came out of and therefore hardens us to the needs of those less fortunate and hurting around us. A Christian religious attitude hurts our worldview towards the poor, and it makes us ineffective in sharing the gospel with those around us. Verse 42, we go on and it says, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. What's the problem here? It's a focus on issues that don't really matter. Jesus causes trouble in the details where I think that I am right. And when I think that I am right, and I push that so hard, I then become wrong. (laughs) It's not about winning an argument. It's about connecting our hearts with people. Someone once said that our sophistication in religion is is sapping the life out of our Christianity. We can get so technical in trying to be spiritual. The Pharisees were so right that they ended up being wrong. What were they doing? Legalism makes minor doctrines into major doctrines. What's the opposite of it? The opposite is just as dangerous. Liberalism makes major doctrines into minor doctrines. (laughs) See? And that's just as dangerous. What did Jesus do and what are we called as Christians? The Pharisees mistook harshness for holiness. The Sadducees mistook compromise for compassion. Let me just change those words a little bit. The evangelicals mistook harshness for holiness, and the mainline church mistook compromise for compassion. What did Jesus do? Jesus was both prophetic and compassionate, and he remained a mystery to both. (laughs) Oh, walking out Christianity is one of the hardest things that we can do. San Francisco slaps me in the face every morning with all of its liberal, crazy, out-of-the-box ways of thinking, it slaps me in the face every morning. And it has to drive me either to totally move away and repel it or surrender myself to the grace of God and say, Lord, how do I love it the way that you want me to love it?
verses 43 through 44, we find that Jesus here, he says, Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Oh, they love that. They, they, they love that place where they got approval from men. What is a Pharisee? A Pharisee is someone says, how fair I seem. <laughs> and, and how do they know that how fair they are? It's because they win the approval of others. Why are they winning the approval of others? They're, they're reacting or they're, they're behaving out of what is called a wounded spirit. A wounded spirit of rejection. A wounded spirit of rejection seeks other people's approval rather than basking in the love and favor of God. A wounded spirit that moves to legalism becomes super spirituality. We have to do things for God in order to win his favor. We have to fast. Now, nothing wrong with fasting. But we have to fast 41 days, one day more than Jesus Christ. I remember many years ago I was praying, and I had a, I had a mental vision. It was a mental picture. And in that mental picture I saw a little lamb amongst thousands of lambs, and that little lamb was jumping up and down. It was just jumping like this. And then it would turn into me picture of me, and I was waving to Jesus. Hello, Jesus. See me, Jesus. See how I love you, Jesus. See how much I read your word, Jesus. See how much I'm fasting, Jesus. And then I heard God say to me, be quiet. (laughs) Or shut up. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. Legalism, legalism is constantly working itself to win the favor of God. And how does God want us to deal with that? Legalism is doing things in order to prove our worth and gain some kind of approval. What is Christianity? Christianity is is knowing his love in the midst of our sin and our own weakness. It's not continuing in our sin, but it's knowing his love in the midst of our failures, our shortcomings, and our weaknesses. We love because he first loved us. He delivers us from legalism. He delivers us from super spirituality. Verses 45 through 52 as I close this morning. And I'm not going to read all of them. It says, one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus said, and you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Verse 52, woe to you experts in the law because you've taken away the key to knowledge, and you yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. What is a healthy spirituality? I'm giving a short little chart here. One side is super spirituality. The other side is what I call healthy spirituality as I close up this morning. 
Super spirituality or legalism says having problems is sin. Healthy spirituality says problems are a part of human nature. Super spirituality says emotions are sinful. Healthy spirituality says emotions are neither good nor bad. Super spirituality says relaxing is sinful. Healthy spirituality says recreation is recreating. Super spirituality says success or lack of success is sinful. Healthy spirituality says prosperity, poverty is not due to deficient spirituality. Super spirituality says being spiritual is being perfect. Healthy spirituality says being spiritual admits my weaknesses. Super spirituality says if I'm not healed, it's due to my lack of faith. And a healthy spirituality says having illness is not a sin. And lastly, super spirituality says not being able to think of another point means I'm not led by God. And healthy spirituality says God is probably happy this message is almost over. Jesus causes trouble in my judgment of others. Is there anybody that you're judging today? Is there anybody that you're unforgiving towards today? And you're blindly excusing yourself? Jesus causes trouble in the details where I think I'm right. Are you trying to win an argument? You're not listening. Jesus causes trouble in the focuses where I derive my value from. Are you living for the praises of man? And you're striving to please God and not resting that he already loves you just the way you are. His call to us today is come as you are. You don't have to clean everything up. Come as you are. When you come as you are, you leave behind what you are and you walk out a new creation. Jesus causes trouble for our flesh, but he brings life in the spirit. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your hard words. <laughs> and Lord, we would confess that we are Pharisees. That, Lord, so many times we've excused ourselves. We've been blind to our own judgments. We've looked at the outer behavior of others without looking at the inner intention. We have argued until we're blue in the face, thinking that we're right. When we've missed the greater purposes of love 
injustice. And Lord, we've, we've haven't, we haven't rested in that place of the love of God. We've been religiously busy and uncentered from your favor. Lord, as we close this sermon, this, this uh, Sunday morning, as we close this morning together with worship, Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, we would say, bring trouble to our flesh. <laughs> so that you might bring life by the Spirit inside of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tim, thanks for great insight and a great message, and it's a, uh, I think we all agree, it is a privilege to be linked with Tim, and uh, that was a great message, Tim. Thanks. Appreciate it.